0: I would like to look at different qualities that I feel that when we meditate, we, in a way, remove the obstacle for them to manifest, like love, compassion, rejoicing. And at the same time, I feel it's something that we can cultivate. We can, in our life, to bring awareness to this aspect of our life, I think can be useful. So the first one, reflecting a little on, on love. And I would say that love is essential for human being. And I would say that meditation, the path, can help us to develop more creative-wise love. because often there seems to be this kind of like um, problematics when we go on the spiritual path, and we hear a lot about non-grasping, non-attachment. And then we think, well, then, what about love? Does it mean that I can love nobody because of that? And so, personally, again, I would say that creative, wise love is a love which is not attached, but it's a love which care, which is a love which is concerned, which appreciate. And so, in a way, it makes us a little uh, kind of ask the question: What is love? I mean, what do we think love is? What does it mean for us? Personally, I would say it's about appreciation. It's about caring. But before you can appreciate and care, in a way you have to to see the other person. So in a way I would say that the meditation helps us there by being a little less self-centered, less closed off. And more kind of opening to the world around us. So that we can see the other. Then we can appreciate the other. We can care for the other. And, and also to see that we, are, we cannot exist independently in the world. We are relational beings. So in a way I think love is what kind of comes with this relationship within the world. And what I found interesting... With, uh, when reflecting on love, is in a way reflecting on its texture, on its quality. And if we look within oneself, when I love something, how does it feel generally? I love my niece, I love the snow. I mean, snow falls and I love it. And how does that feel? And actually, if you look at the experience, it feels warm within ourselves. There is some kind of warmth, some kind of lightness. There is lightness coming in. You love something, and it kind of brings some joy, it brings some lightness, it brings some warmth. And then it it makes me reflect that sometimes we don't like ourselves. And then we have these difficult problematics that we are stuck with ourselves the whole time. And if on top of that you don't like yourself, then you're stuck with somebody you don't love. But if we turn it round, if we started, and to me this is one of the elements of the meditation, of opening in a way ourselves to ourselves, in a way kind of loving ourselves. Imagine if you love yourself, then actually you will feel warm all the time because you're always with yourself. And so in a way to look that, you know, love is not just falling in love with one person. Of course, this is, this is also in part of it. But to me, it's kind of like different uh, concentric circles. starting to love ourselves, to appreciate, to care for ourselves. Then from that we love and care for others, for people, for nature. And then in a way there is that that feeling of openness, of seeing others, of being with others. And that's one thing I, I learned and I was really struck with my grandmother Uh, When she was getting quite old, she was more than 90, and then her faculty were were kind of weakening. And up to that point, I was one of the persons she loved the most. She would see me and she would just be, ah, you here. So every time I would come back from travel, it was, ah, the first moment she would see me and she would just be so happy. I was back I was there, you know, and she loved me and it was wonderful. And then when she became a uh, her faculty was starting to weaken, that stopped. She would see me, she would recognize me, but there was not that spark anymore. It was just kind of like, ah, oh, you are there. But then what she asked what kind of was left of that sparks for her was with a little miniature rabbit of my niece. So my niece would bring the miniature rabbit, especially for grandma, because when the rabbit was there, she wanted to be next to the rabbit the whole time. And I think the reason for that was because, because of the rabbit. She still felt the warmth within herself, when it kind of was kind of kind of a weakening with everybody else. And she could still feel the warmth with the rabbit, she could still feel the warmth with the flowers, flower in blue. And she would bring back huge bouquets from the she would just go in the garden, see the flower, cut the flower, and bring them back. And it seemed to have a meaning for her. My feeling was again. There was this love, what was left, this love for the animal, this love for the flower, which helped her to feel herself differently. And that's why I was struck by how important is this quality for human being, this kind of relationship of appreciation, of care, of feeling that warmth. And that's why I think we have to be careful To equate, we very much equate love with like or with agreeing. That, you know, generally, who do we like? A lot of the time we like people who agree with us. If you notice, that's what generally happens. And to me, that was a great learning experience, was to live in community. Uh, especially to live in a kind of a consensus, egalitarian community in the West. And I lived in it for six years. And in a community, you really don't choose. It's kind of like an arranged marriage. You don't choose the people you live with. They appear, you say yes or no to them, but you you generally don't know them before they got there and you live with them a bit. And what I realized is that we could not like each other, all of them. Because the one you liked were the one who had the same vision, who had the same perception, who had the same interest, who saw the world the same way you saw the world. And then the one who did not, generally there was kind of a little of, kind of conflict or difficulty. But what I realized is that I did not need to like somebody in, a way in order to love them, in order to appreciate them, in order to care for them. And again, to me, that was a revelation. So much so that even the people I had difficulty with during living together in community, now when I meet them, I'm so happy to see them. Because I cared for them. I cared for them as human beings, and we share the same space together. So, in a way, when we look at love, looking at these different things, And in terms of this creative love, to see with creative love that often, what do we do with love? Again, we have this feeling of warmth. And then generally what we do is often that we grasp at the feeling the person is producing. And then we want to be with that person because that person is producing the feeling. Or we grasp at the person, again, because of this thing with the feeling. But if we grasp, what do we do when we grasp? As I said before, we grasp at the feeling, then again, we kind of hold and we magnify. We grasp at the person, again, we hold, we reduce, we limit, and we magnify. So we have to be careful of that. That I think there is a difference with appreciation and care, And this kind of love which grasp, which grip. I remember when I was first uh, married to Stephen, we stopped being monks and nuns, and then we got married, we came back to England. And for a few months, I was sticking to him. I was sitting next to him at the dinner table, on the sofa. I was sticking to him all the time, until I realized this was not a good idea, because he felt a little trapped. And by doing this, I was not making any relationship with anybody else. So we have to see. To me, creative-wise love is open. It's kind of like there is a love you share with one person which can, you can develop together. And at the same time, there is a love you cultivate outside of that, that each of you have to. That it be with a child, that it be with a partner, that it be with family or with friends. But what is interesting with love, often we feel that it's a commodity and that being a commodity, there is only a, a bit of it. And then if I only get half of it, then I'm not getting the whole thing. And if somebody share it with somebody else, then I'm going to be less of it. I think we have to be careful of that idea. That actually, to me, my experience with love, Creative wise love is that in a way the more there is, the more you cultivate it with partner, children, friends, etc. The more there is of it. It's the same like with the cultivation and the effect. The more you cultivate something, the more it's and then the more it grows. So in a way to see, kind of you know the way we relate to love itself, to the feeling we experience to the person which in a way seems to provoke that love within us, to kind of notice what happened. Can I develop that creative wise love, which is stable, which is open, which is creative? To me, in a way, when we love one person, especially a partner or child, to be careful that often our love is conditional, that we have condition upon it. And so we say, I love you, but you need to change this or that. If you love me, you will do this or that. That's, that's, that's interesting. And that's why sometimes, I mean, I don't have children myself, but a lot of my friends and family have children. And, I, and there is this awful moment, often for a mother, where the child says, I hate you. You know, I hate you. And if you take it, if you grasp at it, then you think, oh, the love, it doesn't love me anymore. Forever after that child will never love me ever again. Instead of generally they say it because you swore them. You're not doing what they want you to do. So you need to be careful. What, what, what do we understand? How do we grasp? This must be like this the whole time. The feeling must be all the time there, otherwise there is no love. I think we have to be careful to, to kind of make the feeling, love just reside in the feeling and, more, and not more in a general attitude of appreciating, of caring, of sharing, of kind of growing something together. Because then I think we can give what I would call the gift of love that we really love the person, the whole person, without condition. And then trust can really grow, and then you can address difficult things. Not from the condition, but from, this is painful. How can we work with this? How can we do something about it? But it will come from a place of trust, not from a place of condition. One thing we've, last thing we've loved, to be careful of, of what I would call all the romantic idea we have about love. That it be love for children or love for partners, that we have this romantic idea that when we love somebody, we become one. And then we should be able to read each other's thought or things like this. And, I mean, when I was young, I totally believed in this kind of stuff until I realized it was totally false. But because of that, there can be a lot of expectation. And because of that, I would say a lot of misunderstanding. Once I was uh, in the garden, it was very hot, and I thought, wouldn't it be nice if I had a glass of water? Wouldn't it be nice if Stephen brought me a glass of water? If he loved me, he would bring me a glass of water. Then he comes with no glass of water. And then I told him what I had thought. And now every time I am in the garden, he offers, you want a glass of water? <laughs> and he brings it. But it shows. You see, we have, that's why I think awareness is so important to see what is our mind doing. And then to bring the questioning. Is this true? Is it realistic what I am thinking about? Then the other uh, quality I wanted to look at was compassion. And compassion is more that awareness of the fragility, the awareness of the suffering, the awareness of compassion. And I would say in a way, compassion like love is something which is, Relatively innate, it's something that generally we we experience feeling for, feeling with, suffering. But again, although we have this ability to feel, to empathise, to respond, to connect, to open, we have to be careful that we don't think compassion is just a feeling. It's just a feeling compassionate in one given moment. To me, there is more than that. There is the fact that you are available to the other. There is the fact that you recognize the other. You can also recognize the suffering in the other. And it also means you're available to that suffering. Because to be with suffering is not easy. To be with suffering generally is daunting. It's, I remember many years ago, We had a Buddhist friend who was dying. And he had asked us, you know, uh, when he became, at the beginning, ill to really be with him. He asked us, you know, can you be with me during, he had the fatal cancer, which was quite fast. And so he asked, you know, can you be with me the whole, through the whole thing? And we said, sure, we'll be with you with the whole thing and help you in whatever way we can. So we did that. And then the last few days, he was in a hospice. And we realized there was nothing we could do because he was really heavily kind of in morphine and he was barely conscious. And the only thing we could do was just to sit there. And knowing that was all we could do, to just sit there. And to just sit there was not necessarily comfortable to just be with him. And he was kind of, really, it was painful for him. We could see that. But just to have that availability, to just be there, no matter what happened, we were there. So to me that's what is important, is not to wait for a feeling of compassion, but to have that availability to the suffering. But at the same time, we need to have stability. And that's why I think the, the meditation posture is so important. In order to be able to be with suffering, to not be overwhelmed by suffering, we need to be stable and open. We need to develop a certain balance, a certain equilibrium. Because otherwise when we meet suffering, it of meet our own suffering within ourselves. And I think often within us, there is this strange poor me spiral. Poor me, poor me, the world... I am in a terrible place, the world is a terrible place. We have this spiral within us that we can easily get into. And so we have to be very careful that when we have this movement of compassion, we also together need to bring this attitude of stability and openness so that we can be with that suffering and we're not caught by the suffering so that we grasp at the suffering And then if we do that, we will exaggerate it. I mean, this is what grasping makes us do. So to be careful that, I think that's why it's so important to bring a meditative attitude to compassion. And within that, to also, within compassion, it's not just a feeling, but I would say it's a creative, compassionate response. If there is a suffering, generally we... Are often asked to 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 respond to the suffering, to do something about the suffering, and within that we have to listen. I think to me this is why the listening meditation is so important: is to listen to what is it that the person need, what is it they want, and can I give it? Because this is this is a question. The person might need something, might want something, and you might not able to do it. It might be beyond your ability. So I think in a way there needs to be a kind of like movement between the listening to the need of the person, between also the listening to ourselves, to what is my limits within this situation. Am I the appropriate person to do the creative response or not? And at that level... Also to have compassion for ourselves. And so to see compassion as a spectrum. Sometimes you have more compassion for others, sometimes more for yourself, and sometimes you are in the middle. There is not one specific type of compassion. Then there is also the aspect, the, that's a, the fourth brahmavihara, of rejoicing. So to see there is loving, seeing the other, appreciating the other, caring for the other. Then there is compassion, being with the suffering of the other. But then there is also this idea of sympathetic joy, rejoicing in one's good fortune, in the good fortune of other. And that's an interesting one again, because often as we have a tendency to focus on what is negative, we forget to look at, What is good within my life? What is a possibility within my life? What is my potential for life in this moment? And also there is this strange thing about thinking again like good fortune, happiness is a commodity. There is only so much. And if somebody gets more, I am going to get less. And to notice the tendency we have That if somebody comes to you and says, Oh, this great piece of news and this great thing has happened, instead of saying, Wow, this is great, this is fantastic, often we peek into it. We say, But what about this? What about that? And within 10 minutes, it's totally deflated. It's like kind of, you know. And then we may be not such a good friend. Instead of seeing, as the person mentioned in terms of the Tiknatan practice, That actually, if you share the joy with someone else, someone else's joy, then you have more joy yourself. So again, to be careful of thinking. When we grasp, often we think of things like commodity. And then at only, there is only a bit of that. And the third Brahma Vihara is equanimity. And I think we have to be very careful with equanimity, because often equanimity, we have this idea that if we're equanimous, we're just floating above everything, and nothing is going to attain us, nothing is going to bother us, we should, you know, so we have this idea that when I've done enough meditation, once I have done enough meditation, then I will not get angry, I will not fall in love, this will not, I will just kind of be like, I mean, then what one is describing is a robot. But I don't think the idea is to become a robot at all. But I think that the the equanimity is about the fact that we can be with things but without grasping or rejecting, but creatively engaging with life, with what is going on. And that's why, personally, the three sentences I would recommend for equanimity is may I accept things as they appear? May I be stable? May I be balanced? And so, this acceptance, accepting, often when we say acceptance things, people say, but acceptance, does it mean I must accept everything? And there seems to be this idea that if you accept something, you're not going to do anything about it. And that's why I use the word creative engagement. But to me, acceptance is actually knowing with awareness fully what is going on. To me, that's acceptance. It's to really see yes, that's what's going on. And then really knowing something, then we can have a creative response. My first, I would say, uh, insight about this was long ago. Just beginning to be a nun. And I was doing one of these meditation retreats. And in the middle of it, suddenly I realized that I was totally self-centered. Until that moment, I had not thought that. I thought I was very compassionate. And I was sitting in meditation and suddenly realized... Everything I thought, everything I felt was about me. I would have said then 95% was about me. I was kind of, you know, the major part of this show. This was... And seeing it in that way, I just accepted it. I thought, ah, this is what is going on. And once I could see it in that way with acceptance and full uh, knowledge, then I could do something about it and then I could try to bring down the percentage toward more 50%. And so, so that there was this self-centeredness in terms of taking care of this human being, but which was also shared with this other-centeredness when I could think of other being than myself. And so in a way... For me, the the acceptance, the awareness is that we can really see what is going on. And also to see the equanimity is not in order to be above things, but is in order to be stable. And to me, that's why we we do the meditation. We do the posture is in a way to cultivate inside us this stable posture, this stable inner posture, so that when we meet things, we, can have, we bring this stability to the experience. So it doesn't mean that things are not going to be painful or difficult, but we come to it with more groundedness, more stability and openness. And then there can be more creative engagement. So that, I would say, from equanimity, then there can come more of a creative response. What is going on? And also the, the balance I think the balance, the equilibrium is very important. Because in a way, we have a tendency to move this way or that way. And the Buddha is saying, try, if you can, to be more in the middle way. So not grasping so much, not rejecting so much. And so in a way, so that the love, again, can be balanced. The love is balanced. The same with the compassion. The compassion is balanced so that we're not overwhelmed. The same with the joy, the joy is balanced, it is not overwhelming us. It it does not mean that we don't experience it, but we experience it in a way which is stable, which is balanced, which then, I would say, will allow us to feel it actually more, and to actually, it can last longer, because it's kind of like this quiet love, you could say, or this quiet joy. Of this quiet compassion, which is not destabilizing. Because if we are destabilized, then generally we cannot have a creative response. So that's what I wanted to say this evening. If there is any question or comments. If there is not, I'll just say something about the loving-kindness, a question about the loving-kindness and being overwhelmed a little by sadness. So again, I would say to be careful uh, when we we do the loving-kindness. And that's why why when I say, uh, when we do the loving-kindness, to not look at the person, but to look at the human being. So that we have less of this what I would call personal feeling about it, that it be with the person we like or that it be with the person we don't like. So that then we cannot just see that person as a human being in that moment. And then there is less of that personal thing of oh, my mother or my sister or my child and because then there will be get kind of generally there will be more emotion within that. So that's what I would recommend. And also to see that if whatever method you do, as I said before, if you feel that doing the method actually is a little disturbing or is a little destabilizing, I would say stop it and then just come back to the breath, the body, whatever you generally do and works for you. I think it's very important to have what I would call this self-reliance to try things out but then to see, hmm, is that one good for me or not? So that I think is also very important, to have that kind of freedom.
1: Yeah? You
0: finish? Yes, i finished. In, in the Rama Ramadihara, three of them, love and kindness,
1: compassion, sympathetic joy, something I can do to other people.
0: Places that can be very like things are like they are, and there's nothing I can do about. But there are only the places that the reaction, you know, I cannot
1: hold it, and I, I'm looking for like tips how to get it over.
0: Okay, I think you know that's what your point is interesting. Yes, because generally, loving kindness, compassion, rejoicing—you generally have the whole kind of you know spectrum. You bring all the people. With the equanimity, I would, uh, as you say, recommend it actually to just do it for yourself. And then just to say, may I accept things as they appear? May I be stable? May I be balanced? In terms of equanimity, I think what is very important is to see that we're not, again, going toward what I would call this perfection of equanimity. Because there is two things which come into being there. You have the inner conditions and the outer condition, And what we can notice is with the same outer condition, sometimes if we are fine, we're not tired, we're really in a good shape, then we think, hmm, doesn't matter. You know, I can be with this, I can understand it, I can creatively engage. And then sometimes we're really tired, we had really a bad day, and the same thing happens, and then we really react. So I think one has to see it can be quite conditional in that way. The other thing to look at is in terms of that there is different patterns, like mental pattern, emotional pattern, physical patterns within ourselves. Some are very strong, very intense, and some are a little lighter. The lighter one, we might more easily dissolve. So that one day they're really not there anymore. One day we really see through them and they lose their power. But certain habits, because I feel of our condition, our physiology, they will be there. They will be there, I would even say, our whole life. But then what we can do, as I mentioned before, is actually recognize that they will will last less long and they will be less intense. So I think instead of wanting not to be angry ever, because I think for some type of people that is not possible, is actually to see, before I was angry for a day, now I am angry for two minutes. And on top of it, I can apologize. That I think is a big difference. So I think with the meditation, what we're going to do is develop... What I call the four stages. The first stage is that we see ourselves at the, at the end of the cycle. So you go through the whole pattern. Let's say you become angry. And then at the end you see, hmm, I was really angry there, wasn't I? You do it again. Hmm, I was really. So you have to do a few cycles before you really see. Oh, yes. And you start to get a feel for it. Then there is a third stage. And for a meditator, this is a most difficult stage because you're in the middle, for example, of being angry and you're so conscious of it and it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> so in a way, it's, it, it seems better not to be aware of it. <laughs> you know, it was better before, at the, for, at the first stage. But actually, I think it makes a difference because when you're in the middle of it and you start to know it, you start to know how it feels. You start to know what if you think. You start to know. Then you start to get a feel for it. You start to kind of get an idea of what goes on. And generally it diminishes the intensity and it diminishes the length. Then you have the third stage where then you start to become more interested, more conscious of the trigger, the condition and the contributing factor. And then you start to think, hmm. And you start to think, to, to recognize a condition in which you are more likely to act in a certain negative way. And then you can start to do what I call creative distraction. That instead of going down that route, you can kind of creatively distract yourself from it. And the Buddha in one sutta recommends that too, actually. To kind of, you know, go and do something else. Instead of going in a certain train of thought or action or emotion. And then you have the fourth stage. And this is when you see yourself going into it. You see yourself going into the pattern. And what is interesting at that stage, when you really see it, is that you have suddenly the power of the awareness says, you could do something different. And then you have an incredible fear. And this is why I think we generally don't change. Because we prefer the pain of the known than the non pain of the unknown. But if, And that's why we meditate, to, to build the power of the creative awareness so that then we say, no, this time I'll try to do something different. You do that, And then you feel such ease that you think, why did not I do it before? But before, the pattern was stronger than the awareness. Now it has shifted. And then what is interesting, then you will not do it again. And the reason you will not do it again is because of compassion. Because then, only then, do you really know how painful your habit was for yourself and others. And then you won't do it because of compassion, and then you'll start to be more creative. When the same situation arrives, and you try to kind of, in a way, deal with it in a different way. However, I would say if you're very tired, very stressed, you might backtrack a little too. So I think one has also to be, you know, kind to ourselves and try to kind of see. To me, what is more interesting is not that you don't experience a pattern, but how do you experience it? And, and to me, it's all information to see, ah, I got caught again. Mm, how did I get caught? What did I do? What happened? The other day, I was at the garden center in May. I go to the garden center to get lots of plants. And there was a little thing with the garden lady. <laughs> you know, I was very interesting. Because I did not mean it. I'm sure she did not mean it, too. But we misunderstood each other. That happened to me a little in, uh, in France sometimes. I misunderstand what they really want me to do. And, it was very and then after that, I kind of you know, felt, oh. and I could see the mind could go, I will never go to that shop again. <laughs> oh. mm. And I thought, what's the point? And then I just observed the feeling. I just observed, how long is this feeling going to last? And I would see that when I did not think about it, it was not there, and then I would think of it, mm. and then I, it lasted about ten hours, and then it was gone. And I'm still going to the shop, but to me, this is information. It's That's what we can, when we do the meditation for, so that when we go back to our daily life, we use the creative awareness.
1: That we're close to, we have the sense that that attachment has been diminished in some way, or the or the intensity of our love has been diminished because
0: we're treating everybody equally. I mean, again, you see, you could explain it in different way. You could explain it in different way. It could it could be what you're describing. It could be also the just kind of. Uh, feeling, I mean, Stephen has talked a lot about death, (laughs) so he could be kind of, you know, becoming aware of the fragility of life. I mean, I think this is part of compassion, realizing the fragility of life. And then, you know, uh, to me, that was my, when I saw my father die, that's what I realized, the fragility of life. And then I looked at my family in a very different way. But then we have to be careful that when we feel that sadness... We have to be very careful because we can go very easily into this poor me, poor world spiral. Personally, I think it has also a little to do with that. I think it can have to do with different things. It depends with the people, I would say.
1: was just in a, a led, led sort of re, a retreat setting, and I was just going through it, and um, applied it to my mother, and I was completely overwhelmed straight away by all sorts of complicated feelings, and the way it, so I think it must be normal thing to happen, and, and the way I made sense of it was that it was just that I was related to Differently from my normal pattern, and I saw her more as a human being with her own tragedy, if you like. And seeing that for the first time, I was overwhelmed by a kind of compassion. And so it was difficult experience. So I stopped doing loving kindness meditation for a while. When I came back to it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Again, I think this can be like that. Kind of sometime we, we, we see, we suddenly see something so differently. But once we've seen it differently, actually it's not such a kind of a shock to the system. And then we kind of, it's kind of, we kind of become more familiar with that and we can be with that feeling differently. Yes. Good. So thank you very much. And now there is some walking meditation. This is your last opportunity for walking meditation. And it's not raining.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.